0: hello this is dr shiva welcome to our podcast get educated or be enslaved episode 963
1: air date june 5th 2021 yourself here have a wonderful time understand that this red pill is something that we absolutely uh we are so dedicated to this because this is a conference where you can meet like-minded people you can develop new friendships you can be with people who, who think like you. And this is a wonderful place to uh, really develop a lot of fine relationships, so please do that as well. And uh, with that, I'm going to, because I don't want to hold this up any longer, but I'm going to uh, open this conference with prayer. If you'd please join your heads, uh, uh, your heads to join me in prayer. Father God, we come to you in this wonderful day to enjoy the company of like-minded people, to enjoy the company of those who want to seek the truth. Lord, we know that the country is in trouble now. We know that we are facing a tremendous amount of turmoil. We know that things are not right, but we revel in the fact that we were born in this time. To be strong, to be freedom-loving patriots, to uphold your word, Lord. We want to be the soldiers that you bring forward. So, Lord, please be with us and please uh, be with the United States of America and the world. To bring peace and freedom and love to the world. This we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Okay, uh, I, we're running late,
1: so I want to introduce John B. Wells and his wife, Brendy is here with me. John B., uh, was he is probably the most popular late-night uh, talk show host in the country on radio, on terrestrial radio, and on uh, regular radio. He was the uh, weekend host on Coast to Coast. He uh, had the Caravan to Midnight program, and he recently started our Midnight program. Uh, John B. has been a world traveler. He met his wife in uh, South Africa. Brenda is his wife. Met her in South Africa. He was the uh, equivalent to the Marlborough man. He was a Lexington man in South Africa. And uh, he met his wife there, and they have been... Just tremendous soldiers to try to bring truth to the world on what's happening in South Africa, the genocide that's going on there. Communism is destroying that country, and uh, John B. is one of the greatest fighters for freedom in the world. Uh, With that, I want to welcome John B., and I want to thank you for being here. We're going to have a wonderful conference. All I can say is I am so glad to see you all here. And please feel uh, more than comfortable coming up and talking anytime. I uh, I really appreciate all of you being here. So thank you very much.
2: One of these things, we wouldn't need it. As a, uh, a real fan, all the way back to uh, my teen years, Patrick doing, and the, uh, the whole Prisoner series. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Anybody familiar with the Prisoner? Patrick Woodhue warned us about this in that epic kind of series of 16 episodes. Number 16 in two parts, so it's really 16, 17 programs. But I think it is wonderful that this is Red Pill Expo number six. That's Pat's number in the village. So yeah. Pat, if you're to me, he let us he let us know well in advance what was coming. When I was looking at my uh, if you've listened to me on the radio, you know that a lot of thoughts try to come out on the one time, so that's probably what's gonna happen now. But I looked at the uh, the sheet uh, describing what I was to talk about what my topic would be. And it read, how the world really works. I thought, how hard can it be? Piece of cake, right? (laughs) Well, there are two answers to that. It's just the uh, the duality of man. It includes women too, of course. Uh, The first answer is, not very well. The second part of the answer is, it works perfectly if we embrace just a couple of concepts that, of course, we are according to our free will, uh, able to either embrace or reject. Well, the first things that I learned in the martial arts is that violence is present in nature. You uh, build a house, you destroy the tree. You drink the water, and you destroy the microbe. You make bread, you destroy the seed. What we are witnessing now is the violence of the mind. Somebody recently wrote uh, an article entitled, Well, that's not left or right anymore. It's the elites versus the citizens. It has always been the elites versus the citizens. Back in the days of uh, kings and queens, and now we enter uh, parliaments and congresses and all this, it has always been a select group maintaining their power and being supported by the citizenry. Why aren't these people brought to justice? Because in their world, there is no justice. Just as where, if you don't mind my saying, where our Father God is, there is no time. Time does not matter. Time is for us. Time is uh, eternity, is a place time doesn't exist. A, uh, a local example of this is a drug that was created in the U- UK. that do a lot of strange things in the UK around Portland down and so forth. A drug can be given to a person it will simulate their having been in prison for a thousand years, can you imagine? Now here's another, this is this is the John, uh, the John Well shotgun out the back door. We're going to hit something, probably a lot of things. But I was thinking about Plato. Around 370 he wrote uh, a thing called the Phaedrus, uh, P-H-A-E-D-R-U-S. The Phaedrus, Phaedrus is an interlocutor uh, of many dialects, and it was uh, a back and forth between Socrates, his protagonist, Plato's protagonist, and Phaedrus. Phaedrus said something very interesting, and it is, at first appearance the many will be deceived, but the intelligence of the few will perceive that which has been carefully hidden. Most of this has been hidden from us for quite a long time. The advent of a red pill expo is a recent advent. The philosophers have gathered together from time immemorial to try to figure out what can we think about besides the rudimentaries of uh, lovers leave you, friends annoy you, and family messes with your head. (laughs) And so, I had a dream, long ago, just standing out somewhere in the American Southwest, in the cool of the morning, that uh, that beautiful morning glow. It's just about to be sunrise. And there were all these people there, and we were waiting, waiting for something. I don't know what. And at some point, it was just a fancy part of the dream, some pro- someone produced a uh, violin and again to play it. We were were happy with that. It seemed that we were accepting something big, something that was beyond our current conception of big, massive. And so we see where we are now. But one thing is certain. If you agree with what is written in Scripture, then you know that when two or more are in agreement, whatever is being discussed, will come to pass in some form. Well, are we or are we not more than two? And are we or are we not in agreement that, as G. Edward says, we know that something is wrong? And that's the first step. That, uh, that cliche now, you don't know what you don't know. So that's true. But, but what does that really mean? It's like going in for some sort of an operation. You're there one minute, count back from 50. So you do 50, 40. And you're out. The next thing that you uh, that you hear is uh, the nurse saying, "You can get up now," or she has to speak that way, or you won't get up. <coughs> Continue to sleep. But that's the space that we were in—the space between counting down from 50 and waking up. That's where most people have uh, spent a great deal of their lives. Just. Being part of what was happening to them without being conscious fully of what was happening to them. And so, if we agree, then that means this is not a somber occasion. This is an opportunity to be, to use that time worn word, happy. Because now, We know very well something is wrong. Something that has been beyond our control. Why has it been beyond our control? Because.
0: Rebecca, are you there? Your sound cut out. We've lost the sound. There's no sound coming through.
1: MIT.
2: World renowned system scientist, Fulbright Scholar, Remelson MIT Awards finalist, first outstanding scientist and technologist of Indian origin, SDIO recipient, Westinghouse Science Talent Honors recipient was nominated for the U.S. National Medal of Technology and Innovation. Dr. Shiva was awarded the copyright email by the U.S. government. Said the his systems engineering platform would help research into an integrative approach called systems health and a recent invention called CryptoSol. Using a modeling platform on complex biological phenomena, he recently ran for the U.S. Senate in Massachusetts where he learned about vote fraud firsthand. anybody heard of that lately? Vote fraud going on out there? Isn't it interesting? We don't really want any election integrity laws. Why is that? Well, obviously, it'll make it more difficult for us to steal an election. Is the right <laughs> so much more. Why do uh, people like uh, this one and that one, okay, Pelosi, and uh, to start with, and all of these people, you just can't dislodge, cannot be shifted from their positions in Congress. They just keep coming back, just keep coming back, one other than that, while their cities fall into decay. Aesthetic. Well, before uh, Dr. Sheba, Either I takes the stage, he has a video presentation for you. This is going to be quite viral. It's about four and a half minutes long. And I think you're going to be uh, amazed at what you see. This is real hard core evidence. There's a of going on now. And of course, what's the Voltaire who said, uh, it's dangerous to be right when your government, your rulers, are wrong. Well, that doesn't bother Doctor Shiva at all. He is—he is a knight, and that armor is pretty shiny. So, if we could see—if uh, we could see that video now, that'd be just fine with me. As we prepare to welcome, <coughs> to welcome the one and only. Are you any kind of threats against Doctor Shiva? Well,
0: exposing something so
2: deep. Well, look. Uh,
0: Sam, let me ask ask you something. What's the purpose of life, Sam? Um, You thought about it? What's that? I don't know what it is. Well, to me... Look, Sam, my grandparents came from nothing. Alright? I remember when I was 12 years old, when I went back to India for the first time, and I had left India when I was seven and I came back when I was 12 and I went back to that small village. Dirt roads, no running water, no electricity. My grandparents had bare feet. nothing, man. These people worked 16 hours a day in the hot field. And I, I, for five years I was in working class towns in New Jersey and those working class people taught me a lot. And when I went back when I was 12, my grandparents came, came to send me off with the caboose trains in those days. I made a decision, I said, you know what, am I, am I off in a little 10 foot by 10 foot left. I said, these people have nothing, but they struggle so I can get educated. And I said, if I don't freaking do something with my life, I'm a complete parasite. And that, that I had already gotten so much by the fact that my parents had come to America. And what I'm trying to tell everyone is that first amendment does not exist anywhere on this freaking planet. And if you're not willing to die and fight for it, you're a slave. What the hell does life mean? You have your little home, and you have your little kids, and you do this and that, but you're a freaking slave. Who wants to live like that? So when you Let's ask me, am I... Go, when you, you ask... Go, Let's do this. Yeah, so this country was built on people who didn't give a damn if they lived or died. They wanted freedom. Think about, my friends were telling me, they said their parents got on a boat with too bad they didn't have any jobs. And now we have millennials, well I want this, I want that. It's like you freaking, freaking lost your mind. You don't know what it means to suffer. You don't know what others don't have. And you're asking me if I'm scared. I'm not fucking scared. I'm fucking angry. You should get angry. <laughs> Scared of what? Scared that I may lose my little house? What the fuck are you scared about? It's
1: the wrong question, Sam. Oh, I only got
0: a couple in this, this no, no, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not you. I'm saying that attitude is you have a bunch of assholes here in Cambridge, which is the center of the violation of free speech. Those blue bloods who lost the the war—they didn't get back and leave. They're still here. They never wanted to get the First Amendment, and every decade they've been trying to figure out how to get it back. And if you don't—and if you don't—if people don't recognize that—that's why I hate this guy Tucker Carlson. He puts on a little face. He had a chance to put me on, but he didn't because he watches ratings. He's an entertainer. And I'm here to tell you, if you think that guy's your fighter and you don't want to fight and get behind this, because this lawsuit is the inflection point in American history. It really is. It's not like conspiracy theory. It's not like, oh yeah, I read this stuff. No, we're actually in front of a court. So everyone. Okay, we a wonderful audience, There, they have a consciousness but this is an opportunity for them to take that consciousness to another level, to deepen their understanding and go beyond this left, right, beyond Republican, Democrat because that is the illusion, man. That is the matrix. That is the, the devil in many ways. It keeps people entertained and since 1970, what's happened in this country is people have been kept entertained, you know? Kept, you know, on drugs and feeling good or whatever the hell that is, right? It's not about learning that you have to fight and the, the, the goal of existence is to fight for your rights and they've been eroded at a deep level. And that's why we call it win back freedom, Sam. It's a very important point. We shouldn't say, oh, we gotta fight for freedom. Money. we've lost it. We've actually lost it. And we have to now win it back. But it's positive too, but we have to win it back. It's no longer, oh, we're gonna lose freedom. No, you've already lost it. Anyway, Sam, thank you. wasn't politically correct (laughs) but I'm glad Ed uh, Griffin had that statement up there so I teed it up it was a little bit of a risk but I think it's important to take risks in life especially with the situation we're dealing with in the world today Um, what I want to the agenda for my brief talk today is I want to talk a little bit about David versus Goliath it's a very powerful story I mean there's various variations on the story but it's ultimately an archetype but um, there's a book that Malcolm Gladwell wrote, I don't care for all this stuff, but he brought out some very interesting research on this, I wanna share a little bit of that with you. Then I'm gonna walk everyone here through the events of this lawsuit. This lawsuit that we have in federal court, I've been representing myself. I don't know if you guys knew that, pro se. Two lawsuits. One lawsuit which exposes the fact that the real crime scene in the United States is the voting machines, which have the capabilities to multiply our votes by decimal factors. It's in all of the voting machines. And the reason I said in that video we need to go beyond left and right is because the left for years has been talking about voter suppression. More recently, the right has been talking about mail-in ballots. Both of them are not the real issue. When you take a systems approach beyond left and right, you find out in this problem, the real issue is the fact that we have voting machines, which have the ability to multiply your votes, it's called a weighted race feature. And all state election directors in the United States, Republicans and Democrats, have been approving those voting machines. Trump had an opportunity to get it right, and he didn't, so I want to also red pill you on that. Get ready to be really red-pilled on, be it Donald Trump, or be it Robert F. Kennedy, the medical freedom movement, both of these people have not done their duty because they're actually not the real fighters, and we'll talk about that. Donald Trump had an opportunity to really bring out the election fraud issue. Through RNC, the Trump campaign raised $300 million. They didn't go after the real issue. What we did in Massachusetts, both of our lawsuits have not been thrown out of federal court. None of them. We didn't raise $340 million. You're looking at me and maybe a couple people helped us. Both of them are in federal court, have, been, have survived motions to dismiss, and are now one of, one of them is gonna head into discovery. So, the point, very important point, we are David. We don't need, we have to let go of all these illusions we have as though billionaires and Kennedys or people with names are going to come and save our lives. They're not, because they don't give a damn about you. They don't. That's right. You have to wake up to. I used to live in Hollywood. After they give you your autograph, they go in the back rooms and you just want to know what they call. when you get their autograph and when you, you know, bow down to them. The history of this country has been working people united and fighting. And when I mean working people, I mean people who have skills, who build businesses, who came from nothing. And we have to understand, when you look at the arc of American history, the American working class, with the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, has been the most fearsome working class for the entire globe. And the establishment has worked extremely hard to hide the movements of the American working class. And we'll come back and we'll talk about that. They have tried it anytime working people united, they try to brand it as communist. That's what the right wing did. And the left wing took advantage of that and they created top-down unions in this country. So they controlled working people's movements. In the late 1800s and in the early 1900s, when you go look at the arc of American history led by women, mid-1800s. That is when there was a force in the world, it was the American working class. May Day, May 1st, I don't know if you guys know this, May 1st was commemorated for four American workers who were hanged in 1886 in Haymarket Square for fighting for the eight-hour workday. Everywhere in the world that's commemorated as May Day, except in America. Those working class movements, up until the 1900s, is what scared the establishment. There was going to be a revolution in this country. Oh, by the way, all of this history is wiped out of history. You don't hear any of it. I took AP history and never studied it. Never heard about it. And those movements are the ones that eliminated child labor, how we got nutrition, how we got infrastructure in this country. Very powerful events took place in the early 1900s. It wasn't Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal which gave this country all it had. He was a racist and he was an elitist. It was the force of the American working people. And starting in the 1950s, the left and the right got together. And anytime you said working people unite, they branded that as communism, Marxism, communism, etc. So the left took advantage of that, and they created top-down unions, which today control every American worker. So no one does anything anymore. But if you look between 1945 to 1978, the American pie grew for everyone. Go look at the data. Whatever income group you were in, your incomes grew. It was one of the most profound periods in American history. But it directly came from those movements. And by the way, those movements are why we had infrastructure in this country. And if you look at the infectious disease rates, measles, for example, it fell by 98% by 1948, 15 years before even the measles vaccine came out. Okay? Because it was hygiene, sanitation. The plumber and the sanitation worker did more for reducing infectious diseases than the pharmacist and the medical doctor. Fact. But if you look at how we got that, it was powerful working class movements. So in this country, there's been a deliberate effort by left and right, anytime you say working people unite, as though Karl Marx owns that. It's been delivered. It's a brainwashing of the American people. So, starting in 1950, the McCarthy era basically went after anyone who was quote-unquote talking about working people united. And by 1970, all the unions in this country were controlled top-down. And in fact, they did agreements which said, we'll never strike. But between 1900 to 19. 75, 200 million American workers took to the streets and and we struck for our rights. But starting in 1978 till today, maybe there's been 2 million people on the streets fighting. And during that period, the American pie is now split. There's one American pie for the 5%, the 600 billionaires who doubled their wealth in the last four years, and the other American pie for the 95% whose incomes have gone down by 66%, working people, I'm not talking about people who don't work, and the incomes of the others have gone up by trainer 66%. This is the big elephant in the room that we need to talk about, and we need to build a movement. Enough conspiracy theories, we can talk about whether vaccines shed or not, and I can give you a whole talk about that. Okay? The fundamental issue is, when you take any of these issues, you have to follow the money. Pharmaceutical companies are tanking. They're not making money from single molecule drugs. Vaccines are growing at 17%. So you have all these conspiracy theories, but the big elephant in the room is pharmaceutical companies are crashing and burning. I know this. Okay, I'm a biological engineer. I know all these guys. The last 30 years, pharmaceutical revenues are decaying. Pfizer's revenue in 1971, I mean, uh, 2011 was 65 billion. Today, it's 40 billion. No one talks about this. We gotta get our heads out of all these other extraneous distractions. Follow the money. Pfizer needs to come back up. How else? What better way to go into an industry where you can't sue them? Thank you to the Kennedys. Thank you to the Kennedys, yes, Ted Kennedy. We'll talk about Robert Kennedy if you want. He's not a leader of the anti-vax movement. And we'll talk about Donald Trump. He supported Operation Warp Speed. I gave him money, you gave him money. What we have today is an industry that's been created that has no regulations. You can get anything out into that. It's like, imagine being a car maker. You don't have to, you can put out cars, wheels fall off, you can't be sued. That's the industry Big Pharma's moving to. Follow the money. So vaccines are growing at 18% per year. Big pharma and the old pharmaceutical drugs, you put $1 into R&D, they used to get 10 cents back. Now they're only getting one penny back. The pharmaceutical industry of single molecule drugs is failing. They need vaccines. It is a big money play. And they need to get to 70% vaccination rate, because when you work out the numbers, even if they hit 35%, they'll make 40 billion this year. So we all, and I'll show you the numbers Tate. 30% 30% multiplied by 7.2 billion people, get about two billion people, multiplied by 20 bucks, the retail price is 40 for the two shots, the 20 you get 40 billion. Very simple math. This is why Israel has become the poster child for Pfizer. What was Jared Kushner doing in Israel? You have to ask these questions. We gotta move beyond left and right. We can't be played anymore. We cannot afford to be played. So let's talk about David and Goliath. You know, the story of David and Goliath is very interesting because we think David was at a disadvantage. We're all Davids. We think we're at a disadvantage. We're the underdogs. Well, according to the analysis, I, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks, that's a very interesting analysis. He says when you actually study biblical references and you go back and look at the times, you know, there were three types of, when they used to have wars, they had three types of people. They had the cavalry people on horses or chariots. They had the infantry, right? People wore armor with spears, right? And then they had the artillery. The artillery were people who used to, you know, throw the, in the fire bows and bows and arrows. But they also had someone called slingers. The slingers were highly, deadly uh, weaponized people. They they didn't shoot with a slingshot, that's the old story. It's not, it's inaccurate. It's not, it's they actually would whirl this, <coughs> you know, leather piece with two pieces and they let one of them go. The speed at which they were able to whirl and hit somebody was equivalent to a 45 uh, caliber. One. Okay? The accuracy that they had, according to many references, these guys were so good, they could hit something 200 yards away. David, so in the story of David versus Goliath, right, you had the Philistines on the coastal plains coming up. You had Saul who asked, you know, the king of Israel was trying to find someone to fight because there were these two armies, one at the coastal plain, one at the hills. And the idea was two armies were going to go kill each other. But they were both afraid to fight because they had to go down a valley and either army would have gotten crushed. So the Philistine army sent out this guy called Goliath. And he said, I will, instead of everyone dying in this battle, let's take it one man, you know, one, one person, one-on-one. So he came out with his big armor, his sword, and his spear. So Saul asked, Would anyone want to fight him? Now here's a six-foot-nine or not, giant in those days. No one wanted to fight Goliath, except this little shepherd. Now we don't know if his name was David or Elahonan. Il- I mean, there's some interesting. History on this. But anyway, let's assume it's David. So he said, I'll fight him. So King Saul wanted to give him armor and all these different things. He didn't want to take it. And when you unwind the story, what you find out is that Goliath was part of the infantry. David was part of the artillery. That was his background. He was very ready to take on Goliath because he used to use his skills to protect his sheep, right? From wolves and lions, etc. So when you unwind the story, you find out that David had a huge advantage. Because if you read the references, Goliath calls out to David and he says, Oh, come to me. You know, and why are you holding sticks? All David had was one stick and one, you know, a couple of pellets. And by the way, in those days, barium sulfate was the rocks that they used, which were twice as more dense than normal rocks. Okay? So... And, and there's been some very interesting medical stuff done about this. It turns out David may have had a, uh, I mean a Goliath may have had a disease called acromegaly, which is basically where you have a tumor, a benign tumor in your pituitary gland, and most people who have that. Typically, are very tall, and part of that makes you actually blur vision. So he thought David had multiple sticks. So there's some very interesting The Bottom line is Goliath was not at an advantage. So when David swung and he hit him right in the head, he was down, and then he cut his head off. So the reason I'm sharing that story is, we need to start re-looking at these kinds of stories because they actually reveal something more powerful, that we actually have incredible amounts of power. And we have been part of this mystery or this matrix is to keep depressing us. They're so big and they're so big and they're so powerful. They're not that powerful. These people do not work. They're very insecure people. They are. They're very, very insecure. The, the insecure celebrities in Hollywood, many of them know that they actually don't have much talent, they got there because they slept with the right person. Seriously, that's why there's very few real trained actors there. So they have massive insecurity. Most of academia is filled with insecure people. So the way that they survive is through fear. That's all they have. It is extremely important all of us recognize our own divine light within us. What recognize that it is up to us to gather with others in fellowship and fight. It is the purpose of existence to fight for truth, to fight for freedom, and to fight for health. Truth, freedom, and health. Now, the center of that sphere, if you look at the trident, is freedom. Freedom pulls the others forward. That's why the founders of this country put the First Amendment precisely dead center right up there. Why? Because the First Amendment allows all of us, every one of us, to criticize our government. Harry, I don't even want to give him the title of Prince, was here two weeks ago saying the First Amendment is bonkers. Quote, unquote, that's what he said at the Aspen Institute. The British still to this day, the British ethos, they do not believe that we should have the First Amendment to speak out against our government. This is fundamental. The founders of this country were divinely inspired and enlightened people, and they said, we're gonna give everyone the right to critique their government. This is like the foundations of, of America. Now, why is it important from a spiritual perspective? It means that you can be a human being. You're, you're not a slave. You can critique your government, those in power. You can write about it, talk about it, etc. No other country really has this. And then they bolstered it with the Second Amendment. And over the last, particularly the last 50 years, since 1970, because we've been involved in this left, right, Republican, Democrat, I'm gonna follow this candidate, oh, he sounds good today, we sat on our butts and we didn't build a movement. And that's why we're here today. So. In Massachusetts, what happened? I've been a political activist since I was 16 years old, and I'll show you some slides before you. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag at MIT, protesting apartheid. No one stopped me. There's a picture of me at my PhD graduation, holding up the US out of Iraq. No one stopped me. I organized many protests for blacks, poor blacks, and for whites so they can get into MIT food service workers. No one ever stopped me. No government ever stopped me in this country, except on September 24th, 2020, when the government of Massachusetts shut me down off Twitter. It wasn't Twitter. Again, the illusion is Twitter and Facebook are shutting us down. Big tech, big tech, big tech. But what you're gonna see in the next five minutes, it is government. It is the government of the United States that has created a state infrastructure, which we discovered in our lawsuit, which is now in federal court, a playbook, a manual, an operating guide created at Harvard's Belfer Institute with the defendants that are in our case. It is a manual for surveillance, blacklisting, and censorship of every American. And both left and right, Republican and Democrat, were behind this because every state official in this country has that manual. So I don't want to hear about Republicans are better than Democrats anymore. Drop it. Okay. Amen. Okay. So what is this I'm showing up? So we we ran an incredible campaign in Massachusetts. Anyone who is there, there's Massachusetts GOP, which they're basically one with the Democrats. There is no Republican Party in Massachusetts, okay? They're one. They didn't want an outsider like me running. We had 3,000 volunteers on the ground. Some of, them here, some of them drove all the way from Massachusetts. I don't know if Jerry's here. But 3,000 volunteers, 10,000 lawn signs, 20,000 bumper stickers. We raised $2 million, a million on Twitter. We were everywhere. The Massachusetts GOP ran a fool against us, and nobody was nowhere to be found. On September 1st, 2020 was the date of the Republican primary. The word on the street was landslide for Dr. Sheeta. I mean, you couldn't get around Massachusetts without seeing our name. Well, the results come in on September 1st, and what do the results show? We win in a county called Franklin County, where all the the votes are hand-counted paper ballots, Okay. 80-90% 80-90% are hand count between two people, read them, and they mark them by 10 points. In every other county, we lose 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, To a candidate, people didn't even know their name, his name. So I never believed election fraud took place in this country. Yeah, it takes place in third world countries. So, I had to put my hat on as the inventor of email, as a guy who builds technology, and I started immersing myself. By September 9th, we discovered two very important things. Number one, the voting machines in this country have this weighted race feature, which I talked to you about, which is incredible. And that weighted race feature was built for housing associations. So, if someone here owns 2,000 square feet of a condo, someone owes, owes 1,500, one person gets two votes, the other guy gets 1.5 votes. But why is that feature, you know, if you're fixing something in the common areas? Why is that feature in federal election voting machines? Certified by state election directors, Democrats and Republicans. Think about that. So you can make sure a, a guy like one of us never comes to So we, So they can have selections, not elections. That's the first thing we figured out. The second thing we found out is that on all those electronic voting machines in those counties that supposedly lost 60-40, when a paper, by the way, they use ninety percent electronic voting machines in those counties. When a paper ballot goes in, it, a photograph is taken. That photograph is called a digital ballot image. It's generated. So when counting takes place there, it's not done by a human being, it's done by the AI of the software on those machines, which looks for the circles. Every bombing, it's done by a machine. But what is being counted is not the paper ballot but the ballot image. In 1974, a law was passed that for all federal elections, ballot images must be preserved for 22 months. It's called uh, 52 U.S.C. 20701, federal law. In fact, it's been adjudicated in places like Florida and Arizona. All state election directors know they have to save the ballot images. So on September 9th, myself and two volunteers went into the Secretary of State's office with a camera and we issued a FOIA or public records request. We said, we want those ballot images. And the election officer behind the counter says, We don't have those images. We turned that feature off. <laughs> okay? Quote unquote, it's on camera. Now, the voting machines ship, the default setting is save ballot images. You can't count a vote, them, so that means a ballot image is created, and then they turned it off, so it gets deleted. Okay? In the United States, it's not Chile, it's not Venezuela, it's not China, it's not Russia, it's America. All right, so, I issue my public records request, I want ballot images, I want this, they have 10 days. On September 24th, the state election director of Massachusetts, a woman called Michelle Tasnari, public official, who's also the chief legal counsel for the Secretary of State, and also, you will come back to this, the president-elect of an organization called NASA, National Association of State Election Directors, sends me back an email. It basically says, we don't have those ballot images, we don't have to save them according to Massachusetts law. So I said, really? So I sent back my next email, which says, please tell me the statute. What Massachusetts law are you talking about? Because this is a federal election, I'm a U.S. Senate federal candidate with a massive set of people supporting me. She doesn't respond to the email, she writes back another email saying, we store the paper, never addresses the question. So I write back this final email, and I say, you violated federal law. This election is and void. Now, why am I showing this? You see all these images here? What do they have about it? They have a Twitter. So wh- I've never been suspended off Twitter. I've been on there since 2011, had 350,000 followers. And starting on September 1, when we found out that we quote-unquote lost, our election campaign, our volunteers will tell you, had moved to a campaign of stop election fraud. We put out 2 million flyers all over Massachusetts. Our campaign plank was stop election fraud. I had moved our campaign to a write-in campaign in the general election. So on September 24th, when I got these text, these messages, these four emails, her, her email, my email, her email, my email, guess what I did? I tweeted them out. Put them up on Twitter, public official. Four threaded tweets went up on Twitter. Right after I put these up, bam, I'm taking off Twitter. Never taken off before. By the way, up until September 1st of September 24th, I was saying all sorts of stuff. In fact, on September 1st, the tweet that we put out in the video, I said, election fraud took place in, in, in Third World, Massachusetts. I'm glad we have the Second Amendment. Some, some people may think that sounds violent. Twitter never took it down. Right? But when I put that tweet out, critiquing a government official. And I'm a US Senate candidate. Now, what happened? Well, a bogus fact-checking organization called Lead Stories writes a hijab piece after this, and they say, Dr. Shiva's lying, ballot images were not deleted, right? He's lying, and the ballots were not deleted, right? And in that story, I never said ballots, I said ballot images. In that story, they did something very stupid. They said, we talked, it was a blessing in disguise for us. They said, we spoke to the state Secretary of State, and they said they contacted Twitter, okay? I didn't know enough about election integrity laws to file that lawsuit, I didn't know enough about Section 230, but I did know about the First Amendment. And I said this was the most egregious violation of the First Amendment. This was government contacting Twitter to throw off a U.S. Senate federal candidate. We tried to find lawyers. No lawyer wanted to take this on in Massachusetts because they're all part of the swamp. Giuliani was paid, by the way, $100,000 per week. And go look at those lawsuits that they filed. They're horribly written. And let's not give them excuses. So I had to write my lawsuits. Pro se, it's called. And, pro se. We filed, I call it our lawsuit now, okay? It's our lawsuit now, okay? Because I did this on behalf of us, right? So our lawsuit is a $1.2 billion lawsuit, but in addition to that, I have to file a preliminary injunction. Now what a PI is it you're saying to the honor, I need an emergency hearing, because I'm still running for office. They threw me off Twitter. By the way, Twitter is very different than Facebook and YouTube. Twitter is a platform for political discourse. That's why it's so powerful. So, the judge, first victory, he decides to hear our PI hearing. Big victory. Second thing, it was me going up against three lawyers of the Secretaries of State. 10 days before the judge asked us to review a very famous case law called Blum versus Uretzky. It's a very important lawsuit because it talks about who do you sue. Do you sue the state, or do you sue the private actor? If the state influences the private actor to do something, you have the right to go sue the government and enjoy the private actor as part of the state action. The private actor no longer has First Amendment rights, okay? So I sued the government, and I argued why I did that. It's called the blunt test. The judge was extremely happy, and he destroyed the attorney general. He goes, he's pro se, because you haven't even argued this properly. <laughs> testimony it was supposed to be a 45 minute hearing went on for four and a half hours in the testimony the judge and i cross-examined not only the state election director but their young communications director she spills the bees. she says he says how did all this happen why didn't you ask the state election director you know he's a federal candidate why didn't you simply go on twitter and rebut his stuff if you disagree with him because don't you believe in the first amendment and she didn't know what to say. The young woman, the communications director, says, yeah, we have a trusted partnership with Twitter. Let <laughs> me repeat that again. The government has a trusted partnership with Twitter. Our case was the first to reveal this. Trusted partnership with Twitter. The, all of us are untrusted strangers to Twitter, okay? They have a trusted partnership with Twitter. And he says, what did you do? He goes, oh, we went on our portal and we complained about Dr. Sheeta. And, and he goes, What did you expect? Well, we expected they would do something because we get high priority. They have the government has the Amex Black card, we all get the credit union cards. Okay? By the way, this is those at the most egregious violation of the First Amendment. So then she tells us that not only did they directly use their special trusted partnership to try to throw me off Twitter, whichever, but they also contacted the National Association of State Election Directors, which is an organization of 50 state election directors who also have a trusted partnership. And they also contacted, so Michelle Passanari, the woman who could face a custodial sentence in prison, contacts the National Association of State Election Directors, who she's gonna become the president of, and they also contact her. And then they said, we were. they report back to her, and the judge says, were you happy? He goes, yeah, we were willing to do whatever it took to get him off. This is the United States, not Russia, not China. So let's stop distracting China and Russia. No, this country is a fascist country, okay? They're taking off political candidates who violate violating the First Amendment. The net of that evening on October 30, 2020 was the judge issued, gave me all the terms of the PI. Number one, he ordered the Secretary of State to stop contacting Twitter. Number two, he ordered the Secretary of State to stop contacting NASA, and he said, if you have a problem with Dr. Shiva, you go on Twitter and you haggle it out in the marketplace of ideas. That's right. No, no one reported about this in the mainstream media, because this will expose all of that, being Dr. Carlson or being Chris Cuomo, because you're going to find out in the next few minutes that these people are also agents of the government. don't look to tucker or any of these people as though they're going to come support us okay let go of that part of if you want to really get ready okay (laughs) so so that was october 30th so remember i'm in the middle of my federal election they basically destroyed my general election but on november 4th they got back on twitter and i start tweeting away again but on february 1st of 2021 i shared these same four tweets again in a video that I'm educating a lot of our students of the truth, freedom, and health movement. And bang, within 17 minutes, I'm thrown off Twitter again. <laughs> same thing, right? Went back into federal court again. I said, Your Honor, they lied to you. They said they were going to not violate your order. But when they contacted Twitter, it wasn't. A one-time thing. They had put into the algorithms to track any time I talked about Tassanari, or screenshots or ballot papers. In March, after the judge got that, he said, "Before I can give you quote-unquote complete relief, I need you to bring Twitter into the courtroom." Remember, I didn't go after Twitter because that would surely have lost. I went after because that wasn't my enemy; it was the government. So we went back in. And so on May 20th and 21st, that's why the timing of this, that's why I changed this talk, and I want to thank Dan and Ed. I said, we got to talk about this lawsuit. So on the 20th and 20th, it was supposed to be a two-hour hearing. It ended up going for 20 hours. And this time it was me against seven lawyers. David versus the okay? But the thing is, these guys are ready to- Wikipedia. In fact, the attorney general said, "Oh, he's up to antics. You know, he's a conspiracy theorist." So, in some ways, they they uh, underestimated us. Okay. <laughs> so, in the September 20th <clears throat> hearing, 21st, I have the night before when I'm preparing for this. Remember, I'm going up to the three top lawyers in the world on Twitter side, from Wilmer and Hale. The three top lawyers that, that Secretary Gow has all Harvard Law School educated guys, and now they have another lawyer from NASA seven lawyers, and us, me, okay? So what happens? We go into that the night before. I'm trying to figure out what is this trusted partnership with Twitter? It's not even talked about anywhere on the internet, like government's partnership. Well, this is why I believe there's a God. And on the night of the 19th, I find on a remote server a bunch of documents. What do I find? I find these documents, okay? These are documents, okay, and I'll go through them. These documents were created, the first two documents, these two, were created, the authors of it is Michelle Pascari, is Amy Collin from NAACD. And they're created at the Bell Institute at Harvard <coughs> for defending digital democracy, quite Orwellian. And this was done in, in, in 2018. And then in 2020, they released, look what they're called, Election Influence Operations Playbooks. Playbooks. Manuals. And what are they? So these are the two top manuals. So we found these on May 19th, the night before. And so on the 20th hearing in my opening statement, I talk about the fact, Your Honor, I've been a political activist. The first time I was thrown off was this. And Your Honor, and I held up the playbook, I said, what I discovered in the last 24 hours is an actual manual, a guide, written by these defendants who all have lied to you and told you they don't even know each other. In fact, the author of these two is Tassinari and, and, and Nassid, and the contributors in these two are Twitter Legal. <laughs> and what do these manuals have? They have... First, you want to talk about the Communist Manifesto? Playbook 1 is that. Or the Harvard Manifesto. Or the government United States Government Manifesto. They define this new ideological theory called Influence Operators. Influence Operators. What is an Influence Operator? It's anyone who has influence on the internet and spreads misinformation as they define it, as a government defines it. And one of the ways they define Influence Operations, it's a bullet-free, is someone who says that government officials are corrupt. If, especially with election, wasn't that what I was doing? So, playbook one is an ideological framework. Playbook two lays out the actual process that they've created. A four-step process. First, assess who the person is, identify them, take them out using your Twitter partner support portal, your special link, and then continually monitor. So I'll just share with you this. These are the playbooks, so it has their process, and anyone who's been engineering, this is a SOP guide. It's an engineering process guide of how to do censorship on all of us. Step one, first assess who the person, is. first put together your organization. Well, they have the state election director, the officials, they say create the organizational structure. Step two, figure out keywords. When we filed our motions, they said, we don't know anything about keywords. Really? Well, you have a whole ideological framework of keywords, (laughs) and then you assess people. Are they high, medium, or low severity threat? First of all, do they have credibility? Well, I think a guy with four degrees has credibility, right, from MIT. Do they have influence? Well, my tweets were getting 20, 30,000 retweets. And do I have influence? So I was rated, so they have a high, medium, low severity rate, high, medium, low. So they rate you, okay? And when, after they rate you, they take a two-part approach. One, you directly call them using Twitter through their partner portal. It says a two-pronged approach. The other is you call NASA. It's all laid out. Step by step. Then, the next process here is after they rate you, then they say you go to the Twitter portal and you communicate. You can do it other ways, but when you use the Twitter portal, you've got the backbone phone. We'll take people out for you. So Twitter is at the end of this process. You follow. This is why all of the media will just talk about big tech, big tech, big tech. I'm sure when Fox News gets a call, don't talk about this issue. They jump. Same with CNN. They're all part of this. So this manual then says you have high, medium, low severity. I was rated as high, and what? Watch what you do? You continually monitor them for the rest. Of so that's why the September 24th event took place and the February 1st event took place. Everyone following this? Twitter came in and they lied to the court on May 20th. They said, Your Honor, we did February 1st. We were monitoring him. We had an escalated process because they, Twitter cannot be seen as their work hand in glove with the government. So the general counsel of Twitter, the deputy general counsel filed the false affidavit. She said on the May 20th hearing that we took out Dr. Shiva on May 1st. We saw him do these tweets. Then we escalated it. And then on February 3rd, we took him out. Well, I have an email from Twitter. They took me out on February 1st at 9.48 PM, which was 17 minutes after I put up that video. So we brought that up to the judge in a separate affidavit. We destroyed the credibility of Twitter. The judge no longer believes Twitter, okay? This is this process, an ongoing monitoring component on this before I wrap up and a little bit up. Uh, look what it says. It tells the government, you can use other media, but go through the Twitter partner support portal. An anandine term, very well right? Partner support portal. It's all, well, that portal was built originally in England for the, param, par, uh, for the parliamentary security forces there to track British citizens. Remember, the British don't care about, or the British government doesn't care about the First Amendment. Then it was tested in India, then in Taiwan, then it was brought here. So that's what we have. But the good news is, this judge, as I was going through this, the second, the, the judge came in the second morning. Can I take three more minutes, Dan? OK, the second day in the morning, so, so the hearing went on to the 21st. In the 21st morning, the judge, he had me submit all those playbooks. He said, I want to read them. On the 21st morning, the judge said he got up at 6 a.m., our hearing was at 10.30, and he said something very interesting. He said, this lawsuit will more than likely be an exam in every constitutional law class in the country. Me he said, look, you've done this yourself. And by the way, I'm paraphrasing some of this, right? I'm giving you the gist of it. And he said, I think you should get a constitutional lawyer to help you Because what he wants me to do is to make sure the arguments are tight, because if they refute it, and it goes to the appellate courts, that we can, that they'll lose and it'll go to the Supreme Court, OK? But the most important thing is, he said, I'm, I'm going to decline any motions to dismiss this case. The merits of this case are so intertwined with your arguments that I want to likely go to discovery, and I want to probably go to depositions now. Typically, that's done two years later. So that's what's happening in this federal lawsuit case. It is the David versus Goliath case, but the Goliath here is government and Twitter. Where government ends and where Twitter begins, nobody knows. And this is the phrase that I want you guys to start using. The government launders censorship. You heard through Twitter. The government launders censorship. So they can say, oh, private actor did it? We didn't do it, we didn't suspend you. No, you did. So the government launders censorship. So American fascism is far more sophisticated than Chinese fascism or Russian fascism or third world fascism. Those countries are very direct. You pay me, I'm gonna shoot this guy. In. America, you go to Harvard and you go to the Belfer Institute and you write a manual, and you bring everyone in, you do a kumbaya. That's what we're sitting here.
2: But this lawsuit
0: is historic, because we've peeled away all the onion layers. We've gone down to the essence. The elites in this country do not want us to have the First Amendment, and particularly political speech. And this lawsuit is going at the heart of it, and we have to win this lawsuit. I'm asking everyone to donate one dollar. Just one. And we have gotta get millions behind this. We need to create a movement. It's beyond left and right. We gotta get people on the left, if you disagree with them, or the right, because this is going at the heart of whether we can have any discourse that the government doesn't approve of. So whether it's medical freedom, whether it's election integrity, whether it's digital rights, whether it's GMOs, you can take any issue, UFOs, whatever you wanna take. The government has their narrative, and they will tell Zuckerberg and Dorsey what to do. That's why after Biden said it was okay to talk about the Wuhan virus, then Dorsey allows it, I mean, then Zuckerberg allows it. You see how this works? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, no, none of the Fox News media, none of the Trump campaign, none of the left so-called people have even contacted us. This is out there. They'll cover James O'Keefe because he's on the right attacking CNN, okay? Great, but James, are you gonna go expose also Fox one day? We gotta move beyond left and right, we're gonna win. And in closing, what I wanna tell everyone is that movement is gonna come when we first get educated. There is a systems approach. There is a science to building a movement. This is to building an airplane, to building a bridge, and it's called systems theory. And we've created that science. Every week I teach that. We need to create an educated group of people who understand the physics of how to build a movement. Then we need to organize independent of big tech. We've also put that together. We call it our underground, you can go to the And then finally, we need to all get activated neighbor to neighbor, locally. Do not outsource your freedom to politicians, to billionaires, to celebrities. They don't care about you. The people next door to you right here care more about you than any of the Kennedys or the Trumps or any of these people, I'm sorry to say. And we can talk more about it, but it's the working people in this country who have to unite. And we have to go beyond left and right, beyond black and white. Thank you.